Hey, it's an absolute privilege for us to have with us here Brent and Annie Cameron, and uh, they are the executive pastors of Arise Church New Zealand. We've had Pastor Brent here before. It was such a powerful time. Um, it's so great, Annie, to have you for your first time here in our church. Um, and so they, they, what these guys do, they lead one of the locations of Arise. So Arise is the largest and fastest growing church in New Zealand. Uh, it's across nine locations uh, continuously. So they've They've got their first breakthrough building a few years ago, and now they're about to break ground for another one. And then you've bought some land. It's like the, the, the trickle-on effect is phenomenal. You've got land in Christchurch, right? And so things are just beginning to move. These guys are the lead pastors of Christchurch, which is about 1,500-plus people. Plus, they're the executive pastors across all of the locations on behalf of John and Jillian. So every, every week, Pastor Brent flies into Wellington, which is head office, and, and they fly around the locations overseeing those uh, on behalf of John and Jillian. They are brilliant uh, people developers. They are brilliant uh, leadership developers. They have a passion for people. They're great at teams. Uh, you'll tell us as you talk about the different things that you're responsible for in all the locations, but it's lots of things at all the locations. Uh, they're, they're just the most delightful people to hang out with. So it's a wonderful privilege to have you here today with us both. I want us to stand and welcome Pastor Brent as he comes to inspire, encourage, and develop us as leaders. Thank you so much. Come on, why didn't somebody give Jesus a great shout of praise today and just honor him? And hey, why don't you turn to the person beside you and try and kiss their cheek, but instead kiss their lips. Uh, and uh, grab a seat. Grab a seat. These two men down the front didn't even attempt to try and kiss each other. They're just like, we're not doing that. But hey, great to be with you. And um, how many just love your senior pastors, Pastor John and Danielle, aren't they? It's the most amazing people. And I got to tell you, I was taking a lot of notes in that last session. And um, I'm hoping that I can save all the money that you've spent and just get all those things that people need to grow in. And and, he, and he, we'll take it back and we'll just uh, implement it in our eyes because that is probably the best, most thought out um, presentation I've seen in the church about how you can take somebody from anywhere and bring them on a pathway that literally, if I'm reading it right, you could end up taking Pastor John Danielle's job. And, um, and I mean this in all sincerity that we actually need people to do that. Um, and I'm going to be talking about that today, but I, I honestly believe with all my heart is that we need everybody to say, you know what, whatever it takes. Someone at our table was just saying, actually, I think it was Pastor John saying that as a young Christian, he signed a contract with God, it had nothing written on the paper, but he signed the bottom and said, God, you fill in the rest. And I believe we just need a whole church. We just need a generation of people who are saying, God, I'll sign the contract, whatever you want, I will do it. And, um, and I'm going to grow in the gifts that you've given me. Nobody's stagnant. You're not a fixed constant in life. The only fixed constant is God. We are called to grow and to move forward. And um, that's why you're here today. I'm preaching to the choir, but um, I, I am excited to be here. I am so excited that you're about to launch in Melbourne. Um, just so excited to see churches moving forward and taking steps of faith and getting out of the box and 
I was here, I reckon it was about 15 months ago that I was here. Um, last time we had a great day with a whole bunch of your stakeholders and, and with the team here on, the, on a Tuesday night and just so excited to see what God was doing then and then to come back and we're right on the cusp of launching into something, something really new and really exciting and uh, I am very, very pumped about that, excited for tomorrow uh, and all that God's going to do but I've got to be honest with you, today is what uh, really fires me up working with leaders. Um, and so I want to share a message today. I really do want to challenge you. And um, I've been on a journey recently that's really been, for me, quite um, fundamentally challenging for who I am and for my view of the world. We, uh, my wife and I went, um, we, we got, kind of got this family tradition. Um, we spend a lot of time, as, as Pastor John said, we spend a lot of time on planes, and so we earn a lot of airpoints. And so we set this thing up about 10 years ago. Where we said when each one of our kids finished school, we want to go on an overseas trip to kind of make that a big moment. And so our second child, our son, just finished school at the end of last year. And so we've just spent the last three weeks in Greece and Turkey. Um, which was awesome. Praise God for it. Um, our son is a real history buff. You're going to learn that I am as well. And, um, and so his whole life, he's always wanted to go to Athens to see the birth of democracy and civilization and all this stuff. So we started our trip in Athens. We flew in there, had a great time looking at Acropolis Hill, stood on Mars Hill where the Apostle Paul preached the message. If you remember Acts 17, men of Athens, I see you are religious in every way. We literally stood on that ground and, and saw what Paul would have seen as he was doing that, although I think the city's grown slightly since then, but, uh, you know, did all that kind of stuff, went through a bunch of other places. We may or may not have spent a few days in Santorini just enjoying ourselves. And um, we ended our trip in Istanbul, which is in Turkey, the largest city in Europe, bridges Europe and Asia. And we were there in Istanbul and just having a great time. And Istanbul for me was an incredibly challenging place to be. If, you're, if you are a history buff, you're going to know of Constantinople, which is now called Istanbul, and the Emperor Constantine was uh, fighting to take over the Emperorship of Rome, and as he was outside the gates of Rome, outside the walls, about to launch an attack, one night he had a vision of Jesus, and, and he knew in that moment that God was real, that Jesus was speaking to him, and in that night he gave his life to Jesus. Rome at this stage was totally pagan. He gave his life to Jesus and said, if you'll make me the Emperor of Rome, then I'll live my life for you, and that the next day went and fought, won the battle, became the emperor of Rome, and then began a journey of trying to convert the Roman Empire to Christianity. Um, eventually, he figured out that it was going to be impossible to do that from Rome. So he moved the capital of Rome from Rome to, in, to what was Constantinople, and basically took over like a glorified fishing village and began a new city. His vision for building the city was to make a city so beautiful that it would reflect the light of heaven on earth. History records that, um, obviously, because he was the emperor of Rome, all of Rome, the Roman Empire, became Christian. Uh, Russia was never conquered by Rome, but the Tsar of Russia sent envoys out to decide on a state religion, and they came to Constantinople, and they said, if that is what Christianity is all about, that is the most beautiful city, the happiest city on earth, we need to make that our religion. That's what we should become, because of such beauty and the light, and, and this amazing church, the Hadri Sophia, that just is so amazing in this place. And uh, Constantine, obviously, Rome ruled the world. 
I mean, Western Europe became Christian. In fact, all of Europe became Christian because of Rome and what was going on through this man's life. Such an amazing impact. Historians call him one of the five most uh, influential men in all of human history to have ever lived. And Jesus is on that list. So it's not, you're doing well to make it, you know. Um, and Constantine, I mean, Rome, we all know Rome fell in the 400s, 476, Rome fell. And, uh, but Constantinople and therefore Rome continued going for over a thousand years. And it wasn't until 1476, I think, no, 1453 that the Ottoman Empire conquered Constantinople and, uh, and that fell and that was the end of Rome as we know it. And, and so another thousand years. Now here's the thing that challenged me is that for a thousand years, Constantinople was the center of Christianity for the world and literally whole continents. A Christian today because of one place. But when you're in modern day Istanbul, there is no reference to Christianity at all. A thousand years, it was the center of Christianity. It's only five, six hundred years later, and there's literally no reference to it. We went into the Hagia Sophia. It was a church. When the Ottomans took it over, obviously a Muslim empire, they turned it into a mosque. It's no longer a mosque because they built the blue mosque. It's now a museum to Christianity. It's literally a museum to Christianity. Look what happened in the past. It is still the beautiful building. You can still see the mosaics, but it's, it's dark. It's not lit like it would have been in the old days. And there are massive billboards up there, black billboards with gold writing on them, declaring about Allah and about Muhammad and about all of Islam. And I'm not here to shoot at other people. What I am here to say is that we live in country in a country here in Australia and in New Zealand that are known as being Christian nations. Australia is the great land of the Holy Spirit. But I'm in Istanbul and I'm walking around and I'm troubled. And God just spoke in my heart as clear as anything. And he just said these words. He said, Brand, it can happen anywhere in the world. If we don't move forward, we will by very, just reality, we will move backwards. If we don't take ground, then we are giving ground to the devil. We... We live in a generation where the mainline churches that set up our countries are, and I'm not trying to bag anybody out, but they're just literally dying out. I mean, you go into a mainline church, you're going to be confronted by the age of the, of the population and the size is going to be dwindling and smaller every year as they slowly just naturally are dying out. And God spoke to my heart and he said, listen, there is no point in us building great churches that we enjoy and that we have fun and that we love going to if we are not building a church that's changing the world. If, if all we do is gather together and it's us for no more and everybody else out the door, but we're happy, all we are doing is just ticking down the time bomb waiting for Christianity to become totally irrelevant. Christianity is only ever one day away from revival and one generation away from complete extinction. And having been in a city where basically it is now extinct, but it was the center, I, I just want to challenge us today. And I was so inspired by what Pastor John was sharing because I'm sitting there going, you know what we need is everybody to say, I'll get on the leadership pathway, on the, on the pipeline. I will join in. I will use whatever God has put in my hand and I will help to build a church that will literally change the face of Australia, will literally change the face of the world. We cannot exist in our lives for what we get out of it, but what we can give to it. We are, we are here to make a difference in Jesus' name. And, 
And, uh, you know, I, I just honestly believe that God has put the church in our hands today. He has entrusted it to us as leaders. And His commandment from Matthew 28 to go out and make disciples of all nations has not changed. He has called us to go out and reach the world, to win the loss at any cost, to, to plunder hell and populate heaven, to make an impact in our day and to take what we have and preach the gospel and win people for Jesus. So I'm really, I'm really coming to 2020. I have a sense of urgency in my spirit that I probably haven't had. I, I believe this is the moment. This is the time. We must build the church to change the world. We must not build it for itself, but for the people who are outside the doors. We must pay the price. We must pray the prayers. We must see people saved. We must make an impact today. It's 100% what we have to do. Do we want revival or do we want extinction? It is literally a choice, I believe, that we need to make and say, I will do whatever it takes for revival. I will pay the price for the gospel in Jesus' name. I'm not going to tread water because eventually we are just going to drown if we do that. And so I really do. I want to stir your hearts this morning. Um, I want to I want to really rally us, and I didn't know what Pastor John was going to speak, but man, I want to rally you around the vision. This is a season of revival for the church. We are building a leadership factory. We're talking about a new building, which is going to be a landmark location. I believe that with all my heart. We're, we're doing more locations. I mean, Melbourne is the first of many, and uh, God is going to cause those locations to take off like He's blessed it here on the sunny coast. He's going to cause uh, greater influence throughout the church filled with influencers and entrepreneurs. And listen, I want to speak to everybody who doesn't work in the church. Do not see yourself as not being in full-time ministry. You are just simply in ministry in another location. And I want to encourage your heart. I want to stir you. Where God has put you, He has put you there for such a place, for such a time as this. I mean, you think about Esther, who was literally in the king's harem and was able to make a massive difference through her life. And I want to encourage everybody, no matter where you are employed to work, no matter what your day-to-day looks like, God has put you there to be an influencer and you can release salvation just like she did through her gifts. You can through your gifts and God has placed you there for a reason. We're believing for healings and breakthrough and a name in our community, kindness in our community for me really just speaks about the fact that God wants this church to be known by everybody. He wants his church to be lifted high so people know what he is doing in Jesus' name. And so I want to I want to share with you. Um, I, I I was there. I was really impacted by it. I, I hope you kind of you probably feel that. And um, and then I was reading this passage in Joshua. And I mean Joshua for our church is one of the key books of the Bible because it talks about taking prom- taking the promise that God has for you. And but in the book of Joshua, I think most of us here would know the story that they went in and they took Jericho. And then they went to take on AI. And AI, they went to try and take AI. They went out, they scouted, said, it's not a very big place. We don't need everybody. Just send two or 3,000 
and they went up and they got smashed. And it turned out that the reason why was because a guy called Achan had not done what God had told them to do, which was to vote, devote everything from Jericho to the Lord. And Achan had taken some and hidden it. And, and so Israel was beaten because there was sin in the camp. And so they were taken back from what they were doing. And, and I believe for this church, as we're moving forward and taking the promised land and as everybody commits to leadership and everybody commits to going forward and we're saying, you know what, we got to make a difference. Our nation is not just going to go in a bad direction. We're not just going to say, well, everything's going to hell in a handbasket. We'll just let it go. No, we're going to step up to the plate and say, I will do what I'm going to do. There are four things that I saw in this story that I believe in the modern church are challenges. And I just want to really speak to them directly for everybody here as leaders and, and help you to see them maybe and to make sure that they don't become part of our culture, our DNA or who we are and that we step forward with faith together. Does that sound good to anybody? So I'm just going to read Joshua chapter 7 verses 1 to 5. It says, The Israelites acted unfaithfully in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of a whole bunch of people, uh, I don't know how he had so many dads, but he took some of the devoted things. And the Lord's anger burned against Israel. So Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, and he told them, go up and spy out the region. They went up, spied out Ai. When they returned, they said, not everybody needs to go up. Just send two or 3,000 men to take it. Don't worry, everybody, but only a few men are there. And so 3,000 men went up, but they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about 36 of them. And they chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. And at this, the hearts of the people melted and became like water. Isn't it amazing how quickly momentum can shift? Momentum's a great exaggerator. When you're doing good, we can take the world. We just beat Jericho. We don't even need anybody. We'll just go out with a few people. We'll smash them. We'll be all good. Then we lose, and everybody's heart becomes like water. Uh, it just is this thing. And here they are, having just taken a great step and experienced tremendous success, and yet now they're experiencing the complete opposite. And here's what I need you to know is that AI was only a problem to Israel because Israel made what should have been a challenge a problem because of the way that they approached it. And for us as leaders, here's what you need to know. We are going to live our lives facing challenges. That is always going to be there. And uh, actually, it was Pastor Phil Pringle who said to me one time, I'll never forget it, when I was in a season with just all these problems across our church, and I'm like, man, this is overwhelming. And he said, well, that's, what, that's why you're a leader. And I said, what do you mean? And he goes, well, we've got, nobody's got any problems. They don't need you, you know? So problems make you a leader. So embrace them. It's going to be good for you. And I was like, well, praise God for you. Uh, I think for a lot of people, that might be de- sort of negative and downcast. But for me, it was like, that just hope filled my spirit. Amen. But here's the four things I want to talk to you about this morning. First things, the, the four things that Israel did that I, I want us to make sure are not part of our culture, not part of the leadership of our church, and uh, four things that I think if you look around the modern church, you're going to see are creeping in, and we've got to make sure they don't creep in here. Number one, they were unfaithful in their devotion. Number two, they took what was God's. Number three, they presumed success. And number four, they did not unite around the challenge. First thing they did was they were unfaithful in their devotion. And 
The Bible says they're unfaithful in the devoted things because Achan took something. It was something that God said, I want. I want you to be devoted. I want everything here to be devoted to me. And yet Achan took it. And they were unfaithful in their devotion. And uh, I, I just want to challenge every leader here is that your devotion to God is essential for what God is calling us into. We can't have a church where we turn up and where this is awesome, but when we're not here, there's nothing happening in our in our in a world and in our spirit life. Um, you know, there's, there's so much need for us to have the power of God involved in our ministry. You, you know, we don't want to have life group leaders or team leaders or any kind of leader who's saying, yes, let's all follow Jesus, but it's not connected on the inside, who's not living with a, with a fire that's burning inside of them. It's, uh, as I look around the church in our modern world, I see people who have got great social media. I see people who are doing great things. Our services are unbelievable. We have LED screens and lights and smoke and mirrors. We can make it all happen. And, and, and that, that's awesome. And I believe in all of those things. But if it is not undergirded by the power and the presence of God, and not just in our services, but in our lives, you know, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 4, the Apostle Paul just says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on man's wisdom, but on God's power. And we need to be committed to devotion because our faith can't rest on our minds and in our abilities, but our faith has to rest on the power of God. It is His power that changes lives. It is His power that builds our church. It is His power that gives us the ability to do supernatural things. And without it, we have got nothing. Um, in First Timothy, Paul wrote to Timothy, First Timothy 4 and verse 16, he said, Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Watch how you live and watch what you believe. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. And I want to challenge us as leaders. Let's not allow it to become, yeah, yeah, yeah. I went to Bible college back in 1965. You know, I, I, I've done all that gear. I know what the Bible says. I, I, I know about prayer. I know about these things. And to lose sight of our lives. Listen to what he says. If you do so, you will save both yourself and, your, and you'll also save your hearers. In other words, unless it's uh, actually making an impact in me, I don't really reckon it's going to make an impact in anybody else. If, if it's not alive in me, why would I expect it to be alive in somebody else? And we've got to build a great church and have that church be alive and radical. But listen, we've got to have lives that are alive and radical as well. Uh, I, I don't want to get to the end of my life and look back and say, man, I built something great, but my own life is just rubbish. And I don't want to stand before the throne of God and hear those words, hey, I, but God... I cast out demons. I healed the sick. I raised the dead. Look at all the amazing things and hear him say, but I, I, I don't know who you are. And I, I want to say today, come on, leaders, let's be faithful in our devotion to God. Let's, let's bring our lives in. Is anybody with me today? Yeah. Second, second thing they did was that they took what was God's. They took what was God's. Achan literally took something and said, that's mine now. It's meant to be God's. Now, this is literally the original sin of the devil. Uh, I think I'm going to talk about this tomorrow night, but the devil is up in heaven and he's leading praise and worship. And he's saying, I like that. 
I like how they're singing about how cool God is. Wouldn't it be good if they sang maybe about how cool I am, you know? I mean, I've, I've you ever been to like a big for, sporting match and they sing somebody's name? I mean, you know, I've been, I've been to uh, the Premier League in England, you know, and they're singing somebody's name who scored a goal. I was there when Wayne Rooney scored a goal for Man United and he equaled Sir Bobby Charlton's record, you know, and they sang Rooney for about 15 minutes. And I'm like, this is amazing. Imagine what it's like if you're out there and they're singing your name, you know, that'd be incredible. Well, that's actually what the devil thought to himself. They're singing God's name. Imagine if they sang mine. How good would that be? And then he started to take for himself what was supposed to be God's. And I want to encourage every leader that pride is so easy to allow come in our hearts. Pride doesn't come in at the point where we say, I'm better than everybody else. You know what pride looks like? Man, that was awesome. I did that. What? Did you really? Because everything I've ever run in church life has had hundreds of people helping me do it. And the only reason it's worked is because God put his hand on it. So, I mean, I lead a lot of things, but do I really do any of it? And if, it's, if the praise comes to me, should I expect that God will bless it next time? I don't want to take for myself what is God's. I mean, here's what Jesus said to the, to the Pharisees. He says, hey, don't say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you, out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. So I'm just like, well, if God can take stones and raise up children for Abraham, then God could take me out of the picture and the church will just keep on moving forward. I mean, there's a reason that we have the phrase gone by lunchtime, isn't there? Because people are. They, they get gone by lunchtime and we just keep rolling forward. The world doesn't change. And, you know, God, I believe, wants us to give back to him what he is due. Um, I'm personally really wanting to challenge the modern church around our giving, financially, our giving financially. I mean, if you're you're here and you can't honestly say that 10% of everything that comes in your hand goes sown into the church, I just really want to challenge you and say you are robbing God. I mean, Malachi 3 just literally says, you rob me in tithes and offerings, and because of it, you're under a curse. And then God says these words, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Then he goes on and says, I'll open the windows of heaven, pour out blessing. And I think a lot of times we've focused on if I give to God, God's going to bless me. I reckon that we've got the, yes, but we've got the focus wrong. God's focus is ultimately never about us. It's always about what an impact we can make. And when we give into the church, we actually empower the church and God uses these words, there's food in the storehouse. In other words, if somebody doesn't have food, they can come and they can get it. And what we need is a church that is able to say, you don't have something, we can make an impact in that. We can make a difference in that. We're, we're not just thinking, oh, how, how the heck are we going to pay the lights next week? We're thinking, hey, you know what we want to do this? Let's just do it. Let, let, let's just move forward. God has got a, there's a need over here. We're just going to meet those needs in Jesus' name. God, God wants this church to be a place of provision and of impact in people's lives. And, and that's what tithing is about. That's about our giving is all about. Um, but look, I mean, I'm, I'm on the board in our church. I know exactly how much money comes in and out, and I know how many people come in and out. And I can tell you this without a doubt, and I wouldn't imagine it's any different here than it is in New Zealand, although maybe you're more generous on the sunny coast. I don't know. But if every single person in our church would tithe 10% of what they give, we would never take up another offering because we would have enough money to do everything we want to do. 
And yet, we're always just trying to pay everything. We've got much more vision than what we've got money for. And I just want to challenge you, don't, don't be in this room and say, oh, well, that's, that's awesome. We're going to do something great, but not be actually saying, and I'm going to be part of it. You're robbing God. Achan took what was actually God's. And the Bible is very clear. The first 10% is not ours. It's God's. And we need to give it back. It's a sign of faith. Um, in your time, I just want to throw these things out. I'm running out of time, but um, your time. Can I just encourage you that your time is not just yours? It's actually God's. And when God calls for more, I love the testimony of this guy who was up here before just saying, hey, I think his name was Dan because that's pretty much everybody's name. Um, obviously, the baby names his book is not very, very thick in Australia. It's just like Dan or Sam, uh, you know, uh, <coughs> male and female, doesn't make a difference. We just, those are the two names, just pick one, away we go. Perfect. All right. Dead set, fair dinkum. And... Uh, Time you can guru down. Uh, you know, your time is not your own. God's given us time. And when our time is up, he'll take it. But what we give to him, he does want. Our commitment to him, to his church, our hearts, 100%. Come on, let's not take for ourselves what's actually God is saying, I want you to give it to me. This whole leadership pipeline, get on the pipeline and say, you know what? My life is not my own. I was bought at a price. So I'm not going to hold on to it for my own personal satisfaction and so that I can spend more time down at the beach and just getting a greater tan. I mean, you get so much sunshine, it's ridiculous. Can't be good for you, you know? So come inside a little bit more and get a little bit whiter skin like I got. You know, it'd be awesome. Give it all to Jesus. What is, Achan, Achan took something that was God's and as a result it released a curse. I wonder what we're taking from God that's actually his and what the impact of that is on our life and on our church. Um, third thing they did, is this all right? Uh, the third thing they did is that they presumed success. They thought, ah, oh, we'll just go up, we'll just keep on rolling. Hey, uh, Craig Rochelle says this great line, nothing fails like success. Uh, I'm always going to approach life with confidence, right? I believe that God is for me, God is on my side, God is going to cause me to succeed. I'm, I'm the head only, never the tail, above only, never beneath. But I also know that when I presume success, I mean, my dad, this is a little bit risque in church, but my dad used to say when we were kids growing up, what you, when you assume you make an ass out of you and me, right? That's how you spell it as well. But, uh, you, you know, the presumption of success is the greatest way to guarantee failure in your life. Oh, we'll just keep on going and we'll just keep on working. No, it won't necessarily happen. We have to learn. If you want to see any proof of that, I've got a few words for you. Enron, Nokia, Blackberry, you know, current success in no way guarantees future success. Nothing fails like success. When Constantinople was sacked, they had these amazing land walls that had stood for a thousand years. No one could get past the land walls. By the time they were attacked by the Ottoman Empire, there was 20,000 people living in Constantinople. A total of 9,000 people were able to join the army. The Ottomans attacked with 150,000 soldiers, and they thought they'd win because we've always won. I mean, the, the, it, it, it's just mind-blowingly stupid. But it's amazing how past success can make us blind to our current weaknesses. And I want to encourage everybody here that we need to be in a constant state of growth and moving forward. Proverbs 27, 23 says, Know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds. 
Riches do not endure forever. A crown is not secure for all generations. Let me ask you this. The people who are in your leadership sphere, how connected with you are, with you, with them are you right now? What is their life actually like? Where are they going? Don't assume, don't assume that the church is going to keep on growing. I believe it will, but I'm going to do whatever it takes to make sure that continues to happen. Don't assume it. Don't become comfortable. We are not called to live in a kingdom of comfort. We are called to live under the kingdom of heaven. And if you want the ultimate sign of what living as a kingdom of heaven person looks like, it's called the cross of Jesus. And that is not comfort, it is quite the opposite. So let's not presume, let's move forward. Let's, Israel assumed success, so when life got hard, the Bible says their hearts melted and became like water. Listen, we need a generation of people who have got a bit of backbone, who are able to res- be resilient when things are problematic and challenging. We don't lose heart in the face of difficult, difficulty. In fact, Jesus said, in this world, you'll have some problems. Don't worry about it. I've overcome it. In other words, expect there to be problems, but just keep on going anyway in Jesus' name. God is with us, and let's not take a failure and say the whole world is over. Chicken licking was not right. The sky's not falling. We're going to keep on going. Let's be ready, and let's keep moving forward. But let's not, ignore, let's not bring problems on ourselves by ignoring realities. Let's respond. Let's grow. Let's work hard, and let's create success in Jesus' name. You're right. And the fourth thing that I want to share, and I, I am going over, I'm sorry about that, but um, I do love the sound of my own voice. <coughs> I'm sure you do as well, but um, the fourth thing they didn't do is that they didn't unite around the challenge. And a lack of unity will always cause us to fail. Where there is unity, God commands a blessing. And you know how, the, how we know whether there's unity in church? It's whether what Pastor John and Danielle say is the same thing that the people in your life group are saying. That's called unity, where what gets poured on Aaron's head is what's pouring off the edge of the garment. Where people interact with our community sounds the same as what it's said from the stage of our church. When, when it is a unified body just flowing out, the oil gets from the head to the very edge of the garment. Is The edge of the garment is what's going to interact with the community around us. And we need to have unity in our church. They, they, they didn't unify. They said, I just sent up a few people. It'll be good. We don't need to care about it. It's not our problem. We're going to stay in the camp and recover. You guys go and do the work. Listen, Melbourne is not something that's just out there. Melbourne needs to be something that's in here for every single person. Uh, you might never have been to Melbourne. You should go, by the way. It's a cool place. But uh, even if you've never been there, it needs to be central in your heart. Because this is a moment of expansion and we're taking faith and we are beginning a journey into the promised land. We might have had already taken Jericho, but listen, we've got a long, long way to go and we need everybody engaged with a spirit of unity around every step that we're trying to take. You can never say about anything in the church that's going badly, that's not my problem. It's your problem. It might not be your responsibility, but it's your problem. It might not be, you might not be involved in it. But listen, we are one church and we need to unite as one. 
and say, everything about this church is about me. I am here, I am a leader, I am called, and I will not limit my engagement down only to the things that I care about or that I am directly and personally responsible for. It is all gonna live in my heart, it is gonna live in my prayers, and if I turn up on a Sunday and something needs to happening and there's nobody there to do it, I will do it, and I don't care what it takes for my life. I am here 100%. I want to encourage everybody. We need everybody on board 110% with what is going on here in Powerhouse Church. If we're going to do what God has called us to do. I really feel like Melbourne, and Pastor John said it before, it's the first. We believe we're going to do five more over this season, or maybe it's five total. Listen, this is not a side thing. This is a central endeavor. And it needs a church-wide faith capture of it. Um, can I just throw a few things out that, uh, you know, just, uh, just in my heart? Uh, the growth track. The growth track. This is a very friendly church. But listen, your friendship and you're just, hey, how you doing? High five, handshake. That's great. We're going to go to a spirit of hospitality. I'm looking forward to Pastor Danielle's message. But listen, if a new person walks in the door and you meet them and you never take them to growth track, can I just say you failed to have a united spirit with what we're trying to do? Unless they don't want to go, of course, then you'd just be a weirdo. But, you know, don't be weird, but say, hey, listen, you're new here. You need to be a part of growth track. You've got a presence there. I will take you. I'll be there if it's a one-day thing or whether we're back doing four weeks or whatever it takes. I don't care about my time. I want you to be a part of growth track. I want you to take a part in the journey. Uh, uh, you know, in terms of life groups, I don't know what it's like here, but I know a lot of churches where a lot of leaders don't attend life groups because they don't run a life group. So I, I don't want to give up that night. Listen, it's a central part of our vision. You need to be a part of a life group. You just actually need to turn up and you need to be engaged in that. Why? Because I have a unified spirit and I'm not going to tell other people they should go there and God's going to do something great and then not do it myself. What a, this just doesn't make any sense for me. Um, in my mind, it's a non-negotiable for leaders. Um, you know, for, for turning up on a church, if there's a dream team that member that's maybe just not having a good day or something's not going well or there's a problem. It's always going to be my belief that we should step in and do whatever. Listen, give me, I'll, give you, I'll give you three things that everybody in this room has got that you can help if there's a problem. Number one, you've got a phone. Number two, you've got a voice. And number three, you've got initiative. So if there's a problem and you literally going, how the heck am I going to solve it? Text a leader. If you don't know what to do, text Jeremy, text Josh, text somebody and tell them, help. There's a problem here. This person's going to have a bad day. Use your voice. Just say, hey, you're actually doing great. Let me help. What can I do? And use your initiative. God gave you a brain for a reason. So use it and take steps. Make it great for everybody. Um, <coughs> and can I just say about Sunday services? Um, when we turn up at church on Sunday, a lot of people believe that what happens on the stage is what matters the most. I believe what happens on the stage is very important. But... The parable of the soul is going to teach you one thing. The seed can be great, but if the soil's bad, it doesn't make a difference. So when you're in a service, if you're not on stage, just remember that you have as much impact to make in that service as the person who's preaching the Word of God. And I believe that with all my heart. And you've got to make sure that you're going. So that, that's really all I want to say. And can I just say one other thing? Don't miss Sundays because you've got something better on. Well, we're quiet in the church, isn't it? And when I was growing up, we went to church every Sunday, morning, night. It didn't matter, rain, hail, snow. I mean, we get that, you know, all this gear. 
But what I'm seeing is that people are coming to church more and more when it suits them and are more and more on a, oh, there's nothing else on kind of a thing. And you're obviously here on a Saturday, so I'm probably preaching the choir, but can you just make a commitment? I'm not going to miss Sundays this year. I'm actually just going to turn up. And there might be something on late on Saturday night, you know, on the Sunshine Coast, that's probably about 8 p.m., you know, it's a late night. Um, I mean, if we ran services at 8.15 in the morning, I'm not even going, but, you know, it's so funny, but (laughs) culture, but listen, listen, just be in church every Sunday and make that a norm for your life group. Make it a norm for the people in you. We come every single week. Don't miss Sundays. And let's believe this year, 2020, we can really crack the code on this thing. We can see God do something fresh. I don't want to be a part of a generation where the church, our church goes great and we have a great time, and yet the church just continues to move backwards. But if we can build amazing churches everywhere we go, if we can say, you know what, I'm part of this church, I'm believing for our Melbourne church is going to move forward, I'm praying for every church everywhere. Well, uh, you know, your wider scope, I know you have huge impact through the C3 churches across the whole world. And, but let's believe that together we can build churches that are going to impact Australia, they are going to impact the world and make a tremendous difference in Jesus' name. Let's move forward. Let's take ground. Let's reach people. Let's change the world in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Teresa. Amen. Whoa. Is Pastor Brent fired up or what? Oh my gosh, there's so much in that message. So much. Move forward. Do all those things. But just the fire of God of like, yeah, let's not be a like hang around Christian. Let's get in there and do what God has called us to do. I'm not going to, like, let's just give Pastor Brent some applause. Brilliant. We're going to go to our tables. We've got three minutes, so... No mucking around. Take away from this session. I know you've probably got a lot, but in three minutes, get something. What are you going to implement in your life? 